We'll take our text this morning from the book of Ephesians. We'll look at two verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The custom of giving and exchanging gifts is an ancient custom, an ancient tradition. It's been traced back even to early civilizations. Of course, the practice of giving and exchanging gifts during Christmas time, most people point back to the account there of the wise men as they brought those treasures to Christ and presented those gifts. That kind of is where we get the tradition of giving gifts during Christmas time. The custom of giving and exchanging gifts on Christmas Eve became somewhat of a custom around the turn of the 19th century, the early 1800s. And many believe that that concept was popularized by the poem, The Night Before Christmas. So there's there's a lot of reasons why we give gifts and exchange gifts. If you're wondering what some of those reasons are, just ask Google. It will give you a whole list of reasons why we give gifts. The most popular reason, of course, is tradition. We do that because of the traditions we have. Sometimes gifts are given to affirm a personal bond to those we love. Sometimes gifts are given as a way for people to show off their skills. You get a homemade gift or a baked goods. That is a way for a person to show off their skills or lack thereof at times. But sometimes we give gifts to show off what we can do or what we can make. Sometimes people give gifts to promote their businesses. They like to try to influence the customer by getting them to give them more business. So I remember a shop where I used to work in Fresno. Every Christmas they would get inundated with gifts from vendors, many that they hadn't used in years, but they were trying to uh, generate some business. So sometimes people give gifts as a way of promoting something. Gifts are given as a way to mark milestones. Anniversaries are a good example of that. Sometimes gifts are given as a token of appreciation, just because gift. Those are nice gifts to get. Sometimes gifts are given for accomplishments or things that are achieved, a graduation or something significant. Often gifts are given at that time. Of course, you wonder at times what the motivation is behind the gift giving. Sometimes it can be selfish or unselfish. But this Christmas season, it's good to think, why did God give us the gift of His own Son? Why would God do that? What were His motives? What could God possibly hope to get in exchange for a gift so lavish, so amazing, so incredible, that He would give His only begotten Son? Well, He got us. Maybe not much of a prize sometimes. But what were his motives? The Word of God tells us it was motivated purely and solely out of love for the human race. That's why God gave us that precious gift. Hebrews 12.2 
tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. So there was a joy that was set before Christ that enabled him to endure all those things to pay that ultimate price. What was that joy? Maybe some think it was the joy of rejoining his father in glory. That might have been part of it. But you know, that would have just meant Christ was returning to something that he had already had before. The joy was in being able to see man reconciled to God. That was the joy that was set before Christ. We are the joy that was set before Him. That is why He came, so that we could be reunited and reconciled to God through Christ's precious blood, through that sacrifice that He made for us. Christ's mission statement, He makes it very clear in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, I come to seek and to save those which were lost. What did He come for? came on a search and rescue mission to seek and to save. Who? The lost. That includes every single one of us. At one time or another, we were all lost. Jesus was born to die. The Word of God tells us that. It says that Jesus Christ was that lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. You think about the love that God had for humanity... As he looked down through the portals of time and he saw that at some point mankind would uh, sin and rebel and he would have to have a way back to God. So God provided that way through Christ, slain from the foundations of the world before we were ever created or ever came into being. There was already a plan in place for our salvation, for our redemption. That's what the Lord did. That's the price he paid, the reason he did that. What could we possibly give the Lord in return? Hopefully you've been asking that this Christmas season. You ever wonder what Jesus might want for Christmas? What do you give the one who owns the universe? Well, the Word of God gives us some clues as to what Christ would like for Christmas. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We're to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So this is holy and reasonable. When you consider what Christ did for us, absolutely that's reasonable. God wants our best. You know, a sacrifice in Old Testament times had to be perfect. It had to be the best that that giver could give. That's what the Lord expects from us. He wants our best. We may not feel sometimes like our best amounts to much. And we know God blesses people with different gifts and abilities and talents. But God can take a little bit and do a whole lot with it. Think about that multitude that was fed, that multitude of 5,000 with just uh, two small fish and five small loaves. It was just a young boy's sack lunch. That's all he had to give. Even the disciples in that account kind of downplayed it. They told Jesus, well, there's a young boy here with a small lunch, but what does that among so many? But God took that little bit, just that offering, 
what he had to give, and God broke it and blessed it and multiplied it. God just asks us to give him our best. You know, in order to give the Lord our best, we have to give him our worst. You know the Lord wants all your junk. He wants all your baggage. He wants all your faults. He wants all your failures. He wants all your past. The Lord has an amazing gift exchange program. He says that He came to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And best of all, He wants to give you life for death. But you have to be willing to give the Lord all of that stuff. The Lord wants that stuff. It's better than any cash for clunkers program the government will ever set up. The Lord will keep His word. The Lord's resources are unlimited. He just wants you to... You have to give Him all of those things first. You know, we can't clean ourselves up first. Luke 5, verses 31 and 32 says, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. It says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Lord wants you to bring all that brokenness, all that stuff... And he wants you to exchange it for something wonderful. We read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Lord wants your mess. He wants your brokenness. He wants you just to lay it at His feet and the Lord will make something beautiful out of that. But you have to be willing to give that to the Lord. You know, there's some other things we can give the Lord. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 mentions three things that we can give the Lord. It says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That's something that would please the Lord. Three things right there that we can do. It says to do justly. Of course, we know that word just comes from the word justice. And it's helpful to understand what that word justice means. If we want to do justly, you know, the culture has a kind of a strange idea about justice. You hear a lot about social justice, but sometimes that doesn't look at all like biblical justice. You know, biblical justice is not singling out an individual group for special recognition or giving them victim status while blaming another group for all of the problems. It's not about a redistribution of wealth or anything like that or privilege. That's not justice, not God's justice. God's justice means we treat everybody the same. To do justly is that it means that we're impartial in our judgment and our attitude toward all men. That's what Christ was. It says Christ came for all men. It says there's no difference between Jew or Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Christ came for every single one of us. It's not about showing favoritism. It's treating all equitable and fair. It's not to be respect of persons. It's to realize all lives matter. 
All lives matter to the Lord. You know, before we were saved, we were all in the same place. We were all born in the, with the same spiritual condition. We're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That makes the, lay, the playing field perfectly level. We all need a Savior. The only difference between those of us that are saved and those who are not is that we were sinners saved by grace. We recognize that gift and that offer that was extended to us, but truly, Christ came for all men. We're to treat others equally with respect. And you know what? When we're just, it allows us to see others how God sees them. That's so important. Not how we see them, but how God sees them. Every soul is precious and important in the sight of the Lord. So we want to do justly. Instructs us to love mercy. We all love mercy, don't we? At least when it's extended to us, we love it. It means showing compassion or forgiveness to someone who deserves punishment. It means compassion or forbearance toward an offender. Certainly, when people are lenient with us or when they give us more than one opportunity or they show us mercy, we appreciate that. It says to love it. But to, to obtain it, we have to first extend it. The Word of God makes that very clear. Those, the blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So this is something we can do as God's people. We want to extend mercy. We want to love it. You know, mercy is doing unto others as God has done unto you. I'm sure we've heard times when that scripture was misquoted, maybe by Sunday school kids, do unto others as they have done unto you. And that's not mercy. A lot of people live by that rule. That's certainly not the golden rule, but mercy is doing unto others as the Lord has done unto us. Look back over this past year. Has the Lord blessed you? Has the Lord been gracious to you? Give back by extending blessings to others. Has God forgiven you in this last year for anything? Then certainly we want to extend that forgiveness to others. Has the Lord lifted you up and encouraged you in this last year? We want to do the same. We want to give back by encouraging others. Has the Lord overlooked your faults in this last year? Well, we all have faults. You may not want to admit them. It might be obvious to others, maybe not so obvious to ourselves. But you know what? If the Lord has overlooked your faults, extend that same mercy to others. God will bless you for it. These are some things we can give the Lord. You know, the greatest gifts are those that can be shared with others. It says, freely you've received, freely give. You know, one of the greatest things, maybe the most important thing we can give the Lord is our obedience. The Word of God says to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, you wouldn't think of buying a useless gift for somebody that you loved. No matter how much it may cost, if you knew it was something they didn't need or couldn't use, there would be no pointing it and giving it. 
I could buy my wife the best chainsaw on the market, but it probably wouldn't do any good. It's not something she could use. It wouldn't be practical. You know, people try to offer the Lord all kinds of things that he cannot use. What God wants is our obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. Often, sacrifice will follow obedience, but the very first thing God wants from us is our obedience. We begin by yielding our heart and life to the Lord. Ye must be born again. That is the first step in being obedient to the Lord. God's Word also says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. That's the greatest way we can prove to the Lord that we love Him. We do what He says. You know, obedience shouldn't feel like an obligation. Of course, when our children obey us, even if they grumble about it, we appreciate the fact that they obeyed. But how much more does it mean to us when they do it willingly because they love us, because they want to please us? You know, if that's the motive of our heart... If we focus on loving the Lord rather simply than on simply serving, we end up doing both. But we want to have a heart uh, motivated by love, but we want to obey the Lord. That's something that the Lord demands from every one of us. That's something we all have the potential to give. You know we can give the Lord our praise and our worship. You realize out of everything the Lord could take from us, And he could take everything. He holds our very breath in his hands. Our very heartbeat is a gift from the Lord. Every material possession we have, God could take it in a moment of time. But God will not force us to praise or to thank him or to serve him. God gives us a free will. And he chooses not to violate that free will. But that is something we can give to the Lord of our own volition, as we give a surrendered heart and life to the Lord, that is something that will please the Lord greatly. The highest form of worship comes in the form of a surrendered heart and a surrendered life. You know, truly, we can't praise and worship the Lord for salvation until we experience it for ourselves. But once we're saved, we can offer the Lord that true praise and worship. That's something we can give the Lord. If you're not saved this morning, that is something... You can give the Lord your heart and life and you can give Him praise and worship that will honor the Lord, that will please the Lord. You know, the Word of God also tells us you can't outgive the Lord. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give and it shall be given you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Matthew 19, verse 29, it says, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit eternal life. You can't outgive the Lord. You can't outgive the giver. I'll close with a little story. It's called, You Do the Math. It's told about a beggar in, a beggar who lived in India. Said one day he'd been begging all day. At the end of the day, he only had a half a cup of rice to show for his efforts. He was a little discouraged as he was, as he was rolling up his begging mat to go home. He heard the army approaching and he realized that the prince was coming. 
So he sat down again and he unrolled his mat and he held out his little cup there and he waited. It says, just as the prince was about to pass, he stopped, climbed down from his elephant, went over to the beggar and asked for some rice. The beggar simply stared. He couldn't believe it. What nerve, he thought. The prince wants my rice when he can afford to buy all the rice he wants. And he wants me to give up my little cup, not wanting to refuse the prince or wanting to give up too much of his rice. He he counted out three grains of rice and handed them over. Graciously, the prince took the grains of rice and showed them to his head servant. As the prince moved on, the head servant walked over and dropped three gold coins in the beggar's lap. When the beggar saw the coins, he ran after the procession, offering to give the rest of his rice. If he had known he was going to get a gold coin for every grain of rice, he would have given it all. But now the opportunity passed. Nobody took notice of him. It says, The Prince of Heaven wants us to exchange all that we cling to for immeasurable riches. Are we going to make the same mistake as that beggar and hold back? Too often we do. We are beggars who want to hold something back in case things don't work out, we tell ourselves. We keep a little authority over our lives just to be sure. But Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and two fish. If we would give all of ourselves to him, think of what he could do with us. Think about that. If you were willing to give the Lord everything, think about what God could give you in return. You know, really, it's an exchange of wills. We come to the Lord, we exchange our selfish, stubborn will in exchange for His divine will. You know, the Lord, He holds out an offer this morning again. That offer of salvation is still available. It's a limited time offer. You need to take advantage of it while you can. It won't always be there. But he also holds out a challenge. The Lord holds out a challenge to you this morning. We'll close with one more verse, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The Bible says, Prove me. Bring everything to the Lord. Prove the Lord and see if the Lord won't pour out a blessing on you this morning. You know, this can be your greatest Christmas ever. You can receive the greatest treasure down in your heart. The knowledge of sins forgiven, you can't put a price on that. The beautiful thing is it's available to everyone this morning. Let's come and pray. The song is 588. Let's come and seek the Lord.